This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the Circuit of Success, and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to the Circuit of Success Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today we have a gentleman with us named Michael Burke. Michael, how are you doing today, my friend? Fantastic. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you, and uh, what our listeners, uh, they can't see uh, right now is that Michael was diagnosed with a, uh, an incurable fatal genetic disease when he was 14 months old. Um, he was never expected to make it to kindergarten. He made it to kindergarten at five. His life expectancy was seven. At seven, it was nine. And nine, it was 11, and, and so on. Um, violent coughing is a daily occurrence in his life today, and nausea and chronic fatigue are par for the course. Uh, but that does not define the man that we're with today. So, Michael, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about you and uh, who you are and what's made you the man you are today? Uh, thanks, Brett. That's a, a quite a plateful there. Um, I think... First, let's just spend a moment as what CF does. It, uh, it attacks the digestive system, so we don't digest food. Uh, right now, I take about 13,000 pills every year just to digest food. Without that, I literally would starve to death. It also attacks the lungs, and what it does in the lungs, it creates this immensely thick mucus. And that disgusting mucus is bad enough because it clogs up airways, but the real danger is the bugs, the bacteria that that mucus attracts. And that bacteria is, uh, quite honestly, that's what kills us. So, you know, when I was diagnosed, it was a very limited life expectancy. And by the time I was a teenager, I figured that all out. And for the next 15 years of my life, I tried to figure out what do I do being two years away from my life expectancy. And uh, I just didn't know what to do for a long time. And for a while, I, I sank into that uh, victim mindset, like I don't have any control over anything, so I'm going to let that kind of dictate who, who I, well, I didn't want it to dictate who I wanted to be, but I did let it. And sure. I just really set a lot of limitations upon my life. And then, man, I turned 30, and my life expectancy was 28. Wow. And for the first time in my life, I was beyond the life expectancy and that changed everything in my world, shattered all of my fears, all of my expectations. And I went from a very limited mindset to one of great opportunity and possibilities. So, I mean, how do you do that? Because obviously you're in your, your teens and then in your 20s, which is a very, uh, you know, kind of molds our life, right? Of what we believe, what we think, uh, who we become. So I, I would assume there's some depression maybe in there or other things, but how do you, how do you just overcome that? And, and is it literally just, I turned 30 and then boom, it happened or, or was there a, a transition to that? It was a, a long, it was 15 years. So, um, Confucius says a man that moves a mountain moves one stone at a time. And that's kind of how it happened in my life. Um, there's a very distinct story and my father would retell it. I really, my dad was a great influence. I was um, 18, my life expectancy was right around 20, and my peers were dying, I mean, they're sick, they're dying, and, and there were no adults, so I had it in my mind, I was going to suffer and die, 
And on a fateful night, I told my father that. It's like, Dad, I'm not going to college because I'm going to die in two years. And I told the wrong man that. And in all of his uh, directness and uh, compassion, he leaned in, into me, leaned over the table and said, Bullshit! <laughs> you're going to college and you're going to do well. And that's what I needed to hear because I was just stuck in this belief that was very limited. So he kind of unhitched me and I went to college. I did really well, went to the college of my choice after a couple years at junior college to get, to get the grades right. And, and I flourished in something I didn't think was even possible. And that one experience, the first time I ever did well in college, the first, uh, school, the first time I ever owned something in my life, uh, gave me great confidence to take it to the next level. So what would you tell those parents? And, and we're lucky enough today, we got Ryan Luchtefeld in the room with us today. Him and his wife, Alicia, are very big supporters in the CF world. Uh, their three kids, Madison, Brady, and Logan, uh, two of those three have uh, CF. And so what would you tell those parents that could sit across the table from their son or daughter and, and say the same thing to you? I mean, those listening, how, how can you help those parents that are struggling with the day-to-day -day life of a child with CF? I would say never never let that child fall into their fears and or more importantly the parents fears about their future because the kids are picking up what the parents are putting down right yeah. and then they make that their own they can make that their own luckily my dad communicated to me in the way that i respond most which is challenge i like challenges i don't mind if people challenge me I actually thrive on that and I may have made a couple careers doing just that. Um, he kind of got lucky, and that was just his style. And, you know, if I'm being honest, if he would have said that to one of my other brothers, uh, that wouldn't have matched their style. And so we have these great resources uh, to understand behavioral styles and how to best communicate to individuals. Uh, and, and I can help people identify the behavioral style that their child is so we can communicate to them how they need to be communicated to. Uh, but first and foremost, get rid of that fear. Yeah, that's a big deal. Because we talk about this all the time on the circuit of success is fear so many times in our mind and, and apply that to your world, apply that to the business world. We put these fears in our mind, right? And this is going to happen or that's going to happen. But how many of the fears in your life have actually come true to the magnitude you've put them in your brain to be? Well, here's the four fears I held as a teenager. One, I would suffer. Two, I would die. Three, I would never be able to provide value. And four, what woman would ever, ever want to be with me? The coughing, the stuff that comes out of my lungs, the gastrointestinal challenges, <laughs> right? Uh, I just couldn't see it. And uh, the only one of those fears that actually came true was... Uh, when I got married young and I pushed her away. And then, see, I said to myself, when that relationship didn't work out, I said, see, no one's strong enough. No one can do it just as I predicted. Yeah. But I pushed her away. My fear drove uh, my actions and my thoughts and my emotions. And I pushed her away. And so what did you learn from that process? Stop being fearful. Uh, I got mindful of the things that I was doing and not doing. 
and how that affected other people. People don't behave in a vacuum. It's things that happened to them growing up, things that are going on right now, and our actions. So I saw that I wasn't taking care of myself. And how could I expect her to fight if I wasn't willing to fight? So I took ownership in my own battle. Yeah, so I know for years you didn't ever really want to talk about your disease, the things that I'd heard. And so one of my beliefs is that you know, the more transparent we can be with people, the bigger and deeper of a relationship we can have. And so uh, talk about that for a little bit. What, what helped you kind of come out and start talking about CF and your disease? And, and again, what advice would you have for people, whether it's CF or something else they're holding back in their life? What, what else would you or what would you recommend to people to help them come out of that and start talking about it? Oh, what I can recommend is looking at our heroes in our society. And even if you don't want to use that word, let's talk about the people we uh, respect, their accomplishments, uh, whether it's Albert Pujols or, or before the fall of Lance Armstrong. He inspired an incredible amount of people with his fight. He wasn't private about it. And he had to talk about some sensitive things, right? Things that guys probably wouldn't prefer to talk about. But when he started sharing that story, he was being vulnerable. And being vulnerable is not being weak. So when you tell a story from hope and gratitude, that's being vulnerable. When you tell a story through fear and despair, that's weak. And that doesn't attract people, nor does it strengthen yourself. So when I started telling my story from a a hopeful, grateful uh, position, I started attracting people into my life. And I didn't mean it to attract people. I just wanted to share a message of uh, this disease and and let's raise some money and I wanted to help some families. Uh, But I discovered the the magic sauce there. Yeah. I think that the vulnerable is a key word that you said there. And so many people, like you said it too, is it, it does feel weak when you're vulnerable, right? Here are my... Uh, here are my weaknesses or whatever. I was joke, right? Not joke, but especially my friends from high school that would know me in grade school is I, I'm a very nervous person and I used to not talk about it all. Like I'd get sick before big of sporting events or whatever it was, I would get sick. And I found the more I started talking about that, the more that there was a lot more people just like me. Right. And so now to this day, it's helped me to talk about it, get through that and not get so nervous about things and not get so nervous for a big interview and a podcast with a guy like you. So what would you say is that how would you recommend people to free their minds? So, again, if it's not in the world that you live in, but it's something they're driving down the road right now and they're like, yeah, but my world's different. Right. How do you how do you free your mind? Uh, First of all, I there are times in my life where I would have screamed. You can't understand me. You don't have CF. You don't know what it's like. And I built some fortresses, and, and no amount of encouragement would get through that. That's a, an island of, of isolation. And uh, the first thing to understand is we are human. And whether it's cystic fibrosis or a business challenge or any other challenge in life, we feel the same things. And we think the same things about those challenges. So I don't have to be a financial advisor to understand the challenges of a financial advisor. I don't have to have children to understand uh, the, how hard that can be. I just have to listen and, and start being aware of that situation. So my encouragement to others is be aware of your thoughts and don't accept 
that you're the only person in the history of the world that has ever been in this position. Yeah. yeah, I think one thing that drives me nuts when people say, that's just the way I am, right? And I think that's just a, a huge statement to block you from trying to be great, right? So, so now when you hear the word vision, what, what comes to mind? Uh, vision to me is what I see for the future, what I want for the future, and of course everything... Uh, follows that. If I have a vision of a limited future, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, who's going to be with me? Every thought, every emotion, and then every action follows that belief, that vision. And, in you know, I already shared how some of that came true uh, with my uh, loved one. And if we change our beliefs to opportunity, to possibilities, to ability, well then all of the following emotions, thoughts, and actions will follow. Uh, the plans you make based upon a positive future are very different than the plans you would make for a dark future. So the vision is, is a belief. And if you've read anything by Carol Dweck, uh, her book about mindset, uh, she defines our mindset as the beliefs we hold, and they're like a filter for everything going on, and then that filter tells us what to do. So again, if I see my boss as a jerk, I'll never hear his or her good advice. If I see them in a different light, a mentor, well, I'm going to perk my ears up, and I'm going to listen and learn. Hmm, that's great advice. You, let's talk, you talked about beliefs and things. So let's talk about the circuit of success, the four pillars we talked about. And uh, when you think of attitude, what comes to mind? Uh, attitude to me is a like this general outlook of good or bad. Is this thing generally good? Is it generally bad? And it, it's a disposition. Um, so what dri to me, what drives that attitude is your belief. Again, I, I believe in a positive future for Mike Burke, no matter what the disease does. And so my attitude is, is generally very positive. I see opportunities everywhere instead of limitations. I think one of the things you just said there is you generally have a positive attitude. I, I think where I've struggled in the past is I think you always have to be this, you know, everything's great and Pollyanna and all that stuff is it's okay to have a bad day, right? It is because uh, we're human and I have negative and fearful thoughts, maybe more than I'd like to admit, but I know what to do with them, right? right? I, I, I can rely on sometimes very specific tools um, that I've learned and sometimes just my experiences, right? And that's intuition. Intuition isn't mysterious. It's based on what we've experienced. So I can uh, intuitively know that I can conquer something because I've conquered a lot of things in my life. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to have those bad days. Yeah, so what's something that you could share with our listeners that is, uh, you have a negative thought. I know I've got my, my ways of overcoming that. But how do you overcome those negative thoughts and turn them positive? you got something because he's smiling a little bit here. You see it, Ryan? And so, uh, so what, what's the tool you can share with us? So first of all, we have to be aware that the thought is negative. Uh, I could have sworn up and down my negative thoughts were productive. This is keeping me alive. This is keeping me thriving. This is keeping my relationship healthy. Uh, we have to have a, some sort of sounding board that echoes back that that is not truth. 
And a big tool for that is what we value most in the world. We have to know what we value, and we got to know who we are. So that's the sounding board. What do we value? The second is a little mind trick that I use. If I'm getting this unproductive thought, and now I'm aware of it, I call in a B-52 bomb strike (laughs) on that thought. We all know what the B-52 bomber is. It is just a massively powerful uh, weapon. Um, And I use it as a weapon of negative thoughts, to my negative thoughts. And I just drop it and I smile when I do it because I know it's a little silly. But I call in, you know, Operation Linebacker and blow the <laughs> hell out of that negative thought. And then, of course, the, the, sec- the third key, once you're aware, once you break it, then you have to replace it. You have to put a new thought in your brain. Otherwise, it just goes right back to the negative thought. And uh, psychologists call that a worry cycle. Yeah. yeah, and then you're creating new pathways, and it's just going to be a bigger rut and a bigger rut and a bigger rut, and that's all you're going to think about, right? The unresolved worry creates other worries. So you you got you to gotta stop it and create something else, a new path for your brain. So you talked about beliefs already, but what are some of your core beliefs uh, to help you, uh, you know, fight your battle every day and, and to help you stay positive? What are the beliefs that uh, Michael Burke believes in? I believe anything is possible. I truly believe I can do anything. And that doesn't mean that that always happens that way. I've had some things that have not worked out for me, but I think they are possible. I believe it is possible. I believe that there is something at work much larger than me and that my life with these great challenges uh, has an incredible purpose. And that purpose drives me when I'm frustrated. Listen, I'm running, trying to run a business. I'm trying to inspire others. And um, I've got to remember that, why I'm doing this thing when I'm frustrated. And maybe someone someone doesn't hear my message the way I would love them to hear it. Or someone just fights me on a point I've made. I've got to remember that, that this suffering has great purpose. And it does. Those are the two big ones that propel me. Okay. When when you think about activities, I think it's important too. I I would like to hear what's a day in the life like you look like, because, you know, I get up every day and and I get to thank God that I have my health. And and I, and I know some of the things that Ryan goes through with his kids and the stuff they have to do. And I see his beautiful little kids playing sports and all that stuff, but I don't see the, the daily grind, right. That they have to go through and that you have to go through. So paint that picture for our listeners of what it's really like to fight CF and what you're fighting every day? Uh, It's a little different, right? There are only 70,000 people with cystic fibrosis in the world. Only half of those 70,000 are adults because the disease is still taking us at young ages. And only 5% of those surviving are 40 years or older. So I've got a really different life. And you know what? I, I love it. Um, but it's not easy. So here's the day I wake up, I eat my breakfast. I take somewhere in the neighborhood of eight pills to digest that breakfast. Uh, I set my day off then with a prayer and I go about growing a business, uh, coaching others, speaking, whatever it is that day. And then I, I eat lunch, right? And I take eight more pills at lunch. And then at dinner, I eat dinner and I take eight more pills to digest dinner Uh, somewhere in there, I have to exercise. I'm an avid runner, cyclist, swimmer, hiker, you name it. And all that is therapy. The exercise is therapy. It makes me cough. 
Uh, and then before I go to bed, I got to work in about a half hour of therapy, which is breathing treatments and sitting in a vest that vibrates. And again, makes me cough. Everything I do to clear my lungs makes me cough. It's quite unpleasant, but the results are not just the end result of a long, happy life, but the daily result, the daily peace of mind I get from doing that routine is immeasurable. I'm, I'm kind of speechless right there, right? Because I, I think about, you know, the struggles of the, the normal people have, and we were just talking about this before, right, our allergies. And, and I got to take my Claritin each day, and, boy, that's tough, right? And so I think the, the thing I'm most fascinated by and just watching you and seeing your facial expressions and your body language is, is how positive you are. I mean, that is, that is very, very inspiring. So I just want to make that comment. I think that's great, and uh, – Everybody I've talked to that knows you or know of you, they say that. And so that's, that's really cool. But let's, let's talk. So we talked about that, the activities. We talked about the belief, the attitudes. You have your four pillars, and, and the first one is hope. So let's talk about what hope means to you. Hope is really simple. I am a simple guy from a little suburb of St. Louis, so I like simple. And uh, hope is the expectation that things will work out the way that you desire them to work out. Fear is the expectation that things will not work out the way you want them to work out. So keep it simple. Hope is this general idea that you can make stuff happen in your life and it's gonna turn out the way you want or some reasonable version of the way you want. That, that's hope. Yep. And hope drives a very different life than fear. Yep. Uh, your second one is embracing challenges. Tell us about that. So embracing challenges uh, is you, you cannot avoid challenges in life. And I actually made three careers very wildly successful by taking the very most difficult challenges in those fields and doing well with the challenges. I was the fixer. And for that, I made more money, got to travel the country, had more respect, more freedom, all of that, because I was willing to do the things other people weren't willing to do. But the true inspiration for Embrace Challenge came from uh, two-time World Ironman champion, Chris McCormick. He talks to his challenges. So people will film him while he's riding a bicycle 120 miles in a race, and he's talking, and he's talking to the challenge. And I thought that was an amazing concept. So the key there is how do you talk to your challenges inside your head? I like it. So you're talking a little trash to the, to the, you know, just like you went on the golf course or something. You're that, talking a little trash to your challenges. That is absolutely what he says. He, <laughs> he talks to the challenges like, I know you. I know what to do with you. I know what I'm going to do with you. And, and so he expects there to be challenges, and, and he just knows what to do with them right. and knows how to talk to them. I like it. Uh, the third one, living with purpose. When I told my father I wasn't going to college because I thought I'd be dead in two years, uh, I had no larger idea what to do with my life. When he told me I was going to college, I thought, boy, I, I do want to do that, but what's my driving force? And it was really to prove to myself I wasn't a dummy because I was a terrible student my entire life up to that point. So that drove me to, to you know, get on the honor roll in college, which I did. Then uh, getting out in the workforce for the first time, I got in the hotel business 
And I had a great big purpose of creating my own life. Like I wanted to travel the country. I wanted to see the world before I died. Now, it wasn't a, the best purpose to have, but I became the youngest director of sales for Omni Hotels. I was 30 years old and I was running a big show. And I was traveling the country every year, moving to a new city. I created my own life. And that was my big purpose. Uh, when I started running marathons and Ironmans and hiking hundreds of miles, my purpose was to take charge of my health life, physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional health, uh, and then inspire others. And that has been my purpose, well, since my 30th birthday. And you've done, so I mean, I think about that, right? And you get to the mental side of just doing Ironmans and doing triathlons and marathons and half marathons. And how many of us take the mental side is I can't run that far. Right. And, and you're doing that with all the stuff that you've already told us about. You have to do how many marathons have you done? Nine fulls, nine full marathons. How many half marathons? 20 halves, 20 half marathons. And how many, uh, uh, triathlons, uh, a handful of sprints, one Olympic distance and one half Ironman. And I hiked two hundred well, a hundred miles on the Ozark trail. I don't know about you, Ryan, but I feel like a complete loser right now that I'm not doing that stuff. So well, you're going to inspire me to do some. I've done three, uh, see, one sprint and two Olympic triathlons. So you're going to inspire me. You can see my bike right there. It's getting a little dusty. Oh, it's uh, on the trainer there. It's it needs the a trainer. little workout. That's right. <laughs> uh, that is phenomenal. So um, your fourth one is having a community. That's your fourth pillar. Tell us about that. Instead of putting yourself out there on the island, instead of feeling weak, get vulnerable. Um, obviously I had a community of my family. I have three older brothers and my mom and dad, and I got tremendous support there as a young man. And then now my wife of 15 years, she's just my community of one. But when I started sharing my story, Brett, uh, about running, I was asked to coach other endurance athletes by a, a big running outfit here in St. Louis. And every year I would coach two sessions, one spring race and one fall race. And I would have to tell those people, hey, you're going to hear me cough and I'm going to flatulate. Uh, one, I can't get you sick. And, well, I'll just run in the back of the pack so, you know, we don't have to be grossed out by Mike <laughs> Burke. And I was a little nervous to tell people that. But when I told them what was going on, it was like a magnet. They understood how hard it was to run a half, iron, uh, half marathon and a full marathon. And then I would tell them that, I, you know, they would hear me coughing. I cough constantly. And the fact that I don't digest food, and that's an obsession of runners, yeah. right? That community, I, it just inspired me amazingly. And, and I helped other people overcome their life challenges, not just cancer patients and heart attack survivors and, and people who are depressed and anxious, you name it. They were battling their battle, and I got to help them. And they got to help me. I always, I always get the reinforcement. Mike, you know, I get the compliments because I put myself out there. Um, but I can't tell you what those people gave me. Yep. So as soon as I let them in on my challenges, and I would, tell them, I would tell them how hard it was physically, but I also let them know what I was feeling and thinking. And that's really where I started to attract those great people. How do you, how do you do, I mean, I, I think my wife and I, we do a lot of work in the cancer world and, and how do you help those people, right? So, I mean, what you deal with versus what I deal with every day, completely different, but how do you, is it, are you meditating? Is it prayer? I mean, is it, how do you get over that fear, right? Because 
we all have somewhat, I think, and some of them are really small and some are really big, but that fear of dying, but I think especially when you've been hit by a disease, um, you know, hey, you've been, you get, you have cancer, right? And that, that's a big deal. And so how do you, what's the trigger point? How do you fix that? Uh, the first one is to get some experience. My father challenged me to go get some life experience and go to college. And that fueled then this boldness that I think I have, right? This live bold, my motto. So I took that and said, man, I, I could do that. Well, why can't I have this great career in the hotel business? And each time I fixed a hotel and they promoted me up, it gave me more and more courage, more and more boldness because I just knew I could do it. And then when I started attacking the big problem, the, the CF problem, uh, I ran one mile and I coughed, but then I ran two and I coughed and then three and four and 26, right? Each time I experienced a level of success, it pushed me to higher and higher expectations. So let your child and let you experience life. Don't try to protect them. Coach them through the setback. Allow them to have setbacks, but coach them through the setback. Um, I, I am a, belief, a believer in prayer. And uh, actually neuroscience shows that prayer and meditation creates new neural pathways. So the biology of it is incredible. And then I have a lot of, of mental and emotional tools that I use every day, kind of like the B-52 bomb strike. That's just one little tool. Uh, another that is universal is gratitude. I can remember the first time, I was about 37, that I actually told God I was grateful for my life and for my life with cystic fibrosis. I'm sure that was a defining moment for you. Can you imagine the perspective that that gave me? Uh, I, I truly knew at that time that I had something immense to give to my community, if not beyond my community. So simple things like gratitude, you know, little thought-breaking tools. Uh, but I do work a lot with, with bottom-line beliefs. What do you believe about the world? Yep. What do you believe about your family, yourself? And you mentioned it just a little bit ago, but your motto, think bold, and we'll add, or be steamrolled, right? <laughs> so uh, we joked about that before we started recording, but let's talk about that. So think bold, and you have been talking about it, or be steamrolled. What's that, what's that mean to you? So um, I just, like I said before, I just think I can do anything. And I'm going to test it and push it, and all of that is really good for us, right? Um, People don't get low, let go of their job when they're a little older because there's some young person who makes less. Um, there's new value being brought in by those people. So I always encourage any of my friends in the corporate world, continually grow and you'll be as employed as long as you want. Um, but really where this boldness came through is I had run a couple marathons and I was even coaching. Uh, and then in one of the kickoff sessions for, for the marathon training, the, the master trainer, she said, 1% of the U.S. population will run a marathon. Hmm. And my brain just lit up because I'm a middle-of-the-pack, coughing, farting runner. <laughs> There's nothing special about Michael Burke's marathon performance. But I am in the top 1% of the country with a deadly, devastating, progressive disease that has the three major handicaps for any runner. And I'm doing what 1% of the population will do. It just lit off in my brain that I think very differently 
about life's challenges. So when I say live bold, I, I mean like really bold, like 1% bold. And when I pose that question to folks, they often get nervous. Like, well, that means I am extraordinary and I don't, I'm not extraordinary. And I will challenge them, of course, and, and really what it gets down to is I'll finally have to say, well, you tell me you don't want to be extraordinary, but do you want an extraordinary life for your children? And the Absolutely. answer is always a resounding yes. So the next question is, is how about we do that for you? So it's not that I think I'm an elite person for having run marathons. I, I just think crazy big thoughts and I work to, to make those things happen. That's phenomenal. That fires me up. So you also talk about transforming limitations into possibilities with the biggest tool available to us. And what is that tool? That tool is our inner game of beliefs, thoughts, emotions. Uh, all those things wrapped up together create action. If you look up the old Latin word for emotion, it is to move. So our emotions move us and so do our thoughts. And what moves our thoughts and emotions? Our beliefs. So that is our biggest tool. Uh, I can go to seminars on how to sell better. I can go to seminars on how to be a better speaker or coach. But that all falls on deaf ears. If I don't believe those things will better me. So I think opportunity. Well, how is this an opportunity to grow financially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally? I'm always thinking, how can this thing be an opportunity for me? And that changes the way I see that thing. Um, even a fight with my wife, how is this an opportunity for me to be a better husband? Because I'm always striving to um, change, even if it's just 1% at a time. Yep. So you talked earlier, we talked about having that community, but let's talk on the business front. As you were the, 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 the youngest uh, sales director for this uh, hotel chain, how did you do that? Like, what did you learn about developing key partnerships for success to make you successful in that world? Um, so I got into that business with not one day's experience. And I said, I want to be a director of sales in four years. <laughs> and my, my new boss kind of chuckled at that. It was a very slow moving industry. She said, well, maybe six to eight years. I'm like, I don't have that kind of time. So um, she said, well, here's what you need to do. Wherever there's a problem, you need to go fix it. And then you'll get your goal in four years. So I did. I went to hotels that were struggling. Uh, they were struggling on the operation side, but I was a sales guy. So I had to go make nice with everybody, like get customers back that had been abused. You know, we're talking $200 a room night. And they have high expectations, and they weren't getting that. So I went to the, just the people who were the most angry people, and I said, man, we got a new deal going on. So I forged relationships with them, and I, and I just was very honest. Like, we're, we're changing the ship here. It's not going to happen overnight, but I'm going to work harder than anybody else to make things right for you. And so I just relied on, on some of my natural talents for – uh, you know, the people skills I had, and I am very positive, and, and I just let that through to my clients. And then I asked them to partner with me. Go, go through this with me, and we will have something that we're both going to be proud of. And I really took, took a personal interest in, in their success because when someone chose me, let's say the board of directors meeting for General Electric, 
chose my hotel over a five-star hotel, I had a lot to live up to because the head of security for GE chose me. He didn't even choose my hotel. He chose me if we're getting right down to right. it, right? So I busted my hump to make that man look good. And I think that's lost on people. And I always had a philosophy. My job is to make my boss look good. He didn't hire me for my technical skills as a salesperson. He hired me to make life easier. And that wasn't kissing up. That was doing my job really well. So I got rewarded, obviously, with promotions and pay and freedom of time. And, and they got rewarded, too. And so many times it's not even just about the pay. It's about what you did for somebody else and how you made them look, right? Yeah, it was, it was great. When a client would put that much trust in you and you come through for them, that's immense personal satisfaction. Right. So how do you define success today? What's a, if somebody said, define success for me, what's your definition of that? That's a really, really good question. Success for me is working every day to the biggest goals that I can imagine. That doesn't always mean things are going to work out just the way I want. But if I set 1% goals, like running in an Ironman triathlon with cystic fibrosis, and I don't finish that race, but I get 60 miles into the race and not 70, does anybody consider that a failure? No. No. If I set my goal to hike 200 miles and I only hiked 100, is that a failure? No, no, that's incredible. So I set my goals so high in business um, that even if I don't make that goal, it's still a huge success. I always had more expectations for what I wanted out of my life than my bosses ever could dream of setting for me. So if they said, Mike, let's increase, you know, sales 20%, I was thinking 30. Right. And if, and if we made 20 or 25, well, then that was great. So what would you be doing right now if you knew you couldn't fail? What would I be doing right now if I knew I couldn't fail? Climbing Mount Everest. <laughs> I like it. I, I pretty much do the things that, uh, that I have my, my eyes set on. I want to be a speaker on a national circuit, and I am working toward that. And I'm not going to let some of my own fears uh, get in the way of that. And I'm going to work to it every day. Yeah. And I continue to ask that question strategically because uh, I ask it and I thought I'd get these profound answers, right? But now I've, as I've had all these guests come in and all these successful people, um, I'm finding there's a long pause and they're pretty much doing what they want to do. So hopefully our listeners, right, if they do have something in their mind, they'd say, well, I do this, right? If they could answer that question is hopefully they go and they, they take the opportunity and they go do that, right? Because everybody's sitting here across the table from me, they're doing it. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really inspired by that. Um, so we're going to have some fun here. So I'm going to give you $10 million and you cannot uh, invest it and you cannot give it to charity because I know you, you would do that. Um, so what would you do? I would start checking off bucket lists and I would take everyone who means something to me with me. I would also put that money toward the, toward the people. Oh, that, that would be charity. I would, I would want to help others somehow. Sure. So um, that, that would mean investment. Well, so it's all right. so you're investing sure, into people, though. Because my next question, actually, you must have looked at my uh, iPad here, is, <laughs> is 
life is about experiences in my world, right? And I always say I want to create and document experience. So if you see me, I'm always taking pictures and doing things. I love documenting and making movies and doing all that stuff. But what's at the top of your bucket list? So to your point, this $10 million, right? You're going to take that and you're going to start checking them off. And I'm fine with that. We'll let that, we'll let that fly. So what's the top of your bucket list? Um, I love to see new things because new things, uh, bring me wonder of our, in our world. So I would go to those places, maybe just 1% of the uh, population would get to. So I could experience this unbelievable world we're here in. Uh, And like I said, I'd be bringing people with me that wouldn't have that chance to experience those things. Uh, I I spoke earlier today that uh, I get to hang around some really amazing people, folks that are doing amazing things. And I want to serve the folks who don't have daily access to those people. The things we're going through uh, in my life, yeah, I've got a lot of challenges, but I've got a lot of support too. And there's a lot of folks out there who don't have that support uh, and don't get to then experience some of these awesome things that we get to experience. Tell us about your book. So Waiting to Die, Running to Live. Uh, You wrote that book. What was that process like? Uh, The process of the book was uh, the process of believing it was worth writing. As I speak to a lot of authors, their biggest challenge is, well, it's just my life. I've been convinced enough that I should write it, and I was having trouble writing it. And then a dear friend of mine within the CF community died. She was half my age, and she was making all the bad decisions I was making as a 20-year-old. I survived those decisions, and she didn't. And I saw it happening, and I I didn't know what to do for her. So in her memory, I wrote that book, and I did it in three months because I was really inspired by her, and I wanted to start making an immediate impact on my community, even if it was just a story, even without all the positive psychology and positive intelligence and all the things I know now, I could tell a story that things were possible even when they were hard, even when things didn't look possible, they were. And, and that's the reason I I wrote the book. Yeah. Well, that's phenomenal. And it's again, very inspiring. So where can our listeners uh, buy the book? Uh, They can find it on Amazon. Uh, If they want a personalized signed copy, which is always preferable for me, (laughs) I always love to uh, get the chance to meet people. Even if it's virtually, I will sign one so they can contact me through my website. Got it. And we'll put it in our show notes as well that people uh, will put a link to the uh, website where people can buy it and get a personalized uh, copy of that. Uh, where else can our listeners find more of Michael Burke? Can you uh, got social media, all that stuff, website? Yeah, I'm all on Facebook, much to my wife's chagrin. Um, <laughs> LinkedIn for, for all the business folks out there. And my website is Mike at MichaelPatrickBurke.com. Mike at MichaelPatrickBurke.com. Got it. Well, my friend, it's been awesome having you on the show today. And, uh, you know, we're going to promote a couple other things that the Luchtefeld family are, are, you know, they're involved in. And it's Great Strides, um, the Jack Buck Golf Tourney, and uh, Gateway Extreme Hike. Um, If people can check those out, I'm sure we can find those online, Ryan, and and people can get involved because the community needs help. As you heard uh, Michael say, there's uh, 70,000 people in the world with it. So when you see kids like um, you know, Luchtefeld kids, uh, it makes you want to uh, make a difference. And then you meet somebody like Michael. So if you can, if you find it in your heart, 
give to those charities, get involved. And uh, Michael, it's been great having you on the show today. Thank you very much, Brett. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.